Well, if you are lucky like me, you grew up in a, in a warm and, and nurturing family. I had a, a mother and a dad who loved me and helped me become the person and the uh, Christian that I am today. Now, that's not to say that we didn't have our problems. <laughs> like everybody, we had our ups and downs and, and our challenges and disagreements. Uh, I had six siblings with 20 years between the oldest and the youngest. Some of us were compliant and some of us not so compliant. Some were good students and others kind of struggled. Some were outgoing and very social and others of us were very quiet and introverted. All of us very unique and very different and we st still are. Some of us are Democrats, some of us are Republicans. That always makes reunions um, challenging and interesting. Uh, some of us are highly educated with PhDs and, and master's degrees, and others of us were lucky just to finish high school. Uh, some are very comfortable financially, and others of us kind of live paycheck to paycheck. And as you can imagine with any family, uh, we uh, from time to time disagreed and, and, and we fought with each other. But if one of us was in trouble, we would always rally around that person to help them out. And, and woe to that person who picked a fight with one of us because suddenly there would be a whole group of swarming around them ready to met out any justice that needed to be handed out. And we all, we all had a role to play. Uh, housework, yard work, taking care of our pets was split up among us. Uh, my role was yard work and garden work. I never had to do anything inside of that house. Um, the downside was I really, this is not a preacher story, this is true. Uh, I didn't learn how to make a bed until I was in seminary. I was 21 years of age. And my roommate, David Ashworth, some of you know David, he was on staff here for years, actually had to take me aside one day and say, you know, I'm not making your bed. I'm not your mom. And here's how you do it. And I've been making my bed ever since. But I think one of the best things about my big family is I never felt alone. <laughs> I felt I was a part of something bigger. And that gave my life meaning and, and identity. And so whether you have good memories growing up or, or not so good, whether your family was more like Leave it to Beaver or more like the Simpsons, family plays a very important role in our lives. And it can help us get started down the right direction or it can sometimes send us down a dead-end road. Well, we're in a series entitled, I Love My Church. And what better book of the Bible to explore this than in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. For it is in this letter that Paul most clearly articulates uh, his understanding of the nature and the mission of the church, what scholars call ecclesiology. And beginning in chapter uh, 2, uh, Paul writes about how Gentiles were excluded from the promises of God, that they were without God and they were without hope. But because of what Christ had done on the cross, those barriers, those divisions between Jews and Greeks has been destroyed. You see, both groups found the other group abhorrent. Gentiles would not go into the home of a Jew, and Jews would never eat with Gentiles. 
Both felt that the other group was irreligious. Jews felt Gentiles were atheists because they worshiped false idols, and Gentiles believed that Jews were because they only worshiped one God. What about the other uh, gods? Well, in verse 14, Paul says that Jesus has taken these two groups and has destroyed the barrier. Uh, the word barrier in the Greek refers to a wall separating different rooms in a house. And then Paul writes this. He says, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And so the church is to be about unity. The church is to be about reconciliation between groups. The church is this creation of, of, a, of a new people. And then in verse 19, Paul begins to develop a, a new metaphor for the church. Listen to what he writes. <clears throat> Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. For in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So the new metaphor he uses for the church is household or family. <laughs> the Greek word is oikos. And he reminds his Gentile readers... Now, once they were foreigners and strangers, but now they are fellow citizens. Now, that word stranger is paraoikos, which means beside a house. And so Paul is drawing this marvelous picture of people living in the same land, but not in the same house. But now, he says, we are family. Now we all live in the same house, this house that has a foundation built upon the apostles and the prophets, that we, you and I, are the bricks, and that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the glue that holds all of this family together. Oh, I love this metaphor. Jesus came to bring us all into the household of God. We are his children. The church is to function as a healthy and loving family. And I think this is even more important today because I think people are looking for this. More than anything, I think we are created, we are wired by God to belong. So if the church is family, what should that family look like? I'm going to describe four things today if you're taking notes. And the first one is this, relationships. Healthy relationships. A couple years ago, I discovered a, a, uh, the Harvard study of adult development. Now, you can Google it online if you want to learn more. But Harvard researchers tracked 724 men for some 79 years. And they poured over a, a mountain load of, of data and interviews and questionnaires and medical records. And they discovered one thing that makes a difference in a man between success and failure, happiness, and, 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 and unhappiness. And it will blow you away. What do you think it was? Now, I see some giggling. That's not what it was. Uh, no. 
relationships, friendships, other people. And I'm sure it's true for women as well as men. Now, the man who currently heads up this project for Harvard, his name is Dr. Robert Waldinger, and this is what he says. He says, people who are more isolated than they want to be from others find that they are less happy. Their health declines earlier in midlife. Their brain functioning declines sooner. That may be my issue, Mark. I may need more friends. And he says, they live shorter lives than those who are not lonely. This is a big deal, and it's a big deal for the church. You know, today's millennials report that 25% of them don't have a single friend. 25%, not one friend. 30% of them feel lonely or always lonely. And the scariest statistic of all, 27% of millennials don't think they even need a friend. Folks, we're created for community. We're created for, for each other. God created humankind, not because God was bored or because God was lonely, but because God is so in love with humanity that he wants this wonderful world full of people to share it with. That's why God created us in his own image. And in the early church, we, we see this taking place. And in Acts chapter 2, we, we see this community, and it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled at all with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Two things I want you to notice. First of all, that the early church, they were hungry for God. They were hungry for a relationship with God. The, the apostles were mentoring and teaching others. They were praying together. Miracles were happening on a regular basis. Lives were being changed and transformed. But I also want you to notice something else. They were hungry for fellowship. They were hungry for community. How many times does, does Luke write they were together? They were helping anyone in need. They were together in each other's homes and they ate together. They cared for each other. It says they sold their possessions in order to raise money to meet the needs of certain people in the church. Man, do you find that kind of commitment hard to imagine? Those kind of, of deep relationships? And maybe you hunger for, for relationships like that. Maybe you wonder if that kind of deep relationship is, is even possible in our modern world. I believe it is. And I believe that it starts with you and I taking the initiative and reaching out to the lonely and to the lost and investing in those relationships. But not only does it take relationships, it also takes some healthy accountability. You know, as parents, Melinda and I set clear boundaries and expectations for our children. We let them know about responsibilities and rules. And I think the church needs also to have healthy accountability. You see, we're to support each other. We're to encourage each other. 
No individual Christian can, can possibly function by themselves. There are no Lone Ranger Christians in the church. We need each other to grow spiritually. My friends, you will get eaten alive if you try to live the Christian life without help. And I believe this happens best in small groups. James writes this in his letter. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Imagine that. People so open and, and so transparent that they were sharing their failures and their sins with, with others and, and praying for each other for their healing. Can we do that? Can we learn how to, to do that with people who love us and who know us? Melinda was talking to a friend, and in the course of the conversation, she said, hey, are you going to church anyplace? And the friend immediately became defensive, and, and she said, Melinda, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now, technically, she's right. <laughs> We're saved by grace, uh, not by church attendance. But I can tell you in all honestly that I've never seen an alive and, and, and growing and, and healthy Christian who was not active in church. I've never seen that. And the reason is simple. We need each other. We are members one of another. God has created us this way. And so we cannot come to worship on Sunday and, and then go home and forget about everybody else until next Sunday. Evidently, this was an issue even in the early church. So the writer of Hebrews had to write this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Evidently, some members of the church had gotten out of the habit of, of gathering together, and they had to be reminded, don't let that happen to you. Stay close to the family of God. Be accountable to each other. Thirdly, in a healthy family, it means service. It means serving each other. Well, that's what healthy families do. And you can always tell how healthy a, a family is by how willing family members are to, to sacrifice for each other. And guess what? Your children and your grandchildren, they learn this by, by watching you, by watching how you serve each other. Now, this can be a very hard uh, lesson to learn. I, I struggle with it all the time. You know, if, if my wife ever came home from work and found dinner on the stove, her, her slippers and, and the newspaper beside her, her favorite chair, and her husband greeted her at the front door with a big embrace, she would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she was in the wrong house. It's hard, isn't it, to serve each other, male and female, it doesn't matter. But folks, what are we looking for? Unless I totally don't understand, I think I know what everybody wants. We, we want love. We want deep and meaningful relationships. We want security. We want peace, yes. We want uh, to be with, uh, to be with uh, the, the people with a spirit of generosity and, and to live with contentment and, and purpose. Am I right? But how do we get there? How, how do we get that? You see, the world says if you want peace and security, then you need to conquer, you need to rule, and you need to consume. But the Bible says what? Serve one another humbly in love. Which do you think works? 
Evidently, the, the church in Galatia was really struggling with this. And so the Apostle Paul had to write to them in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, he says this, he says, But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you're not consumed by one another. What in the world was going on? Sounds like cannibalism. Sounds like the, like the church, the body of Christ, was, was eating each other. What was going on that Paul had to say that? Paul tells them that instead of consuming each other, that they need to serve each other in love. You see, for the church to be the church, it has to be a serving church. For a Christian to be a Christian, they must serve each other. It begins with leadership. Jesus said to his disciples one day, he said, whoever wishes to be the greatest among you must be a servant. You see, great leaders are great servants. Doesn't matter whether it's in the church, doesn't matter whether it's in the White House, doesn't matter who it is, political, the family, in the neighborhood, great leaders serve. But it's not just about serving each other. It's about serving our community. And this has been our, our entire focus this month. I believe this is the church's calling. My philosophy of ministry is that the church will get a hearing for the gospel by the way that we serve our neighbors, by the way we serve our community. I heard a wonderful story about a woman who was a, a multimillionaire. This woman had a daughter who was critically ill. And the woman had no church. She had no, she had no pastor. She had few friends. But she had a neighbor who was a spirit-filled United Methodist. And this Methodist woman had three Methodist friends, and they began coming and, and helping this mother with her sick daughter. They brought in meals. They counseled. They provided comfort. They, they prayed with her. And the mother began to notice how not only how these four served, but how good she felt after these Christians visited and when the daughter finally recovered, the, the mom and the daughter followed these Christian women to their church. And shortly afterwards, she gave her life to Christ. You see, these women reflected the servant heart that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. You and I, as members of the family of God, are called to be no less servants in our families, in our church, and in our world. And then lastly, a healthy family welcomes all. As I said, I had six in my family growing up. My parents actually had a goal of having a dozen children, but it didn't work out, for which I'm kind of grateful. But my mother was 40 when she had my baby brother. He was the last. And I remember a few years ago that he came up to me and he said, do you think I was an accident? <laughs> and I said, John, I have no idea whether you were an accident or not. Mom and dad never shared their private business with me. But I can tell you for a fact that every person in this family was wanted. When I uh, come to church here on Sunday mornings uh, and I go into the fellowship hall, I uh, never know who I will meet. And that's because Ryan and Sarah Fortner, members of our church, 
have a view of family that is always welcoming. They are foster parents. And they never know how many children they're going to have with them on Sunday mornings. Their idea is that they're going to open their hearts to whoever God brings into their family. And the church is to be no different. Paul writes in Romans 15, he says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. In other words, this ministry of welcoming comes from the very nature of God. That just as God welcomed us into his family, you and I are to welcome others into his family. That God created human beings and welcomed them into his presence. He created us to be his family. And he does that by making his son Jesus to be our savior. And when we say yes to this relationship, you and I are adopted into his family. God welcomes us with this, this heavenly celebration and the gift of eternal presence with him forever. It is God's very character. It is his nature to welcome us into his family. Now, it's one thing to believe that a church should welcome all people. It's easy to believe that theoretically, but it's quite another to practice that. And I struggle with that as well. It's easy for me to stand up here and and to tell everyone to welcome everybody who comes through our doors, no matter how different they may be or how annoying they may be. It's one thing to tolerate people, isn't it? That's easy to do. It's a whole other thing, though, to invite them into a relationship, to make them a part of our lives, to actively reach out and to engage them. But we have to. The Bible clearly tells us that the church Christ desires to build is a church that does just that. If Paul had never stood up for the Gentiles, the church would have stayed a a small little Jewish sect in, in Jerusalem. We would not be sitting here today. The racial barrier between Gentiles and Jews would never have been broken. So how do we do that? It's not rocket science. As we go about our daily lives, wherever we are, in the grocery store, in the restaurant, the soccer games, in the course of a natural conversation, uh, we, when we ask, do you go to church any place? And, and they say no. Then we invite them. Come to Anderson Hills. I'll take you to next Sunday. Come and be a part of our family. Uh, one of our, our members shared how a, a number of people kept inviting her over and over again to, to our church. Evidently, all of her neighbors were Anderson Hills folks, and she kept saying, no, no, I don't want to be Methodist. No, thank you. No, thank you. And eventually, she got so tired of saying no, she just surrendered and said, okay, I'll come. I'll be Methodist. <laughs> she loves being a part of the family. And when they do come, then we make sure that they're welcomed. We look for people who who are coming in and looking kind of confused and trying to read our signage, and we walk up to them and we connect with them and we help them connect with other people that we know, and, and we welcome them. That's how we do it, and we have to do it. As Paul says, we're no longer strangers or foreigners. We are members of God's family. It's the very heart of the Bible. It's the the heart of Anderson Hills. It's the heart of this church. 
This church is a place where people can get connected with God. And this is a church where people can get connected with the family of God. I want you to hear how one family in their time of need discovered how very true this can be. Let's watch. Our church. Me and Kenneth met in like 2010, and we both were single parents mm -hmm. raising children um, on our own. I had two girls, and he had um, two boys and a girl. Yep. A suggestion of my best now best friend, then neighbor, Allison Camp, invited me. I went by myself initially mm -hmm. to visit for just a Sunday morning service. They embraced us with open arms from the beginning, uh, and. It, it was just overwhelming the love and support that they gave us and uh, embraced us and really treated us like family. It was unbelievable. I don't get me a minute. I'm trying to get through it so you can actually understand me. Um, January 25th of this year, um, I was working at um, Wilson Elementary as a paraprofessional and it was basically the end of the school day and I got a phone call from my two oldest girls, Latavia and Lily at home, um, that um, Trayvon was um, basically choking on something. We know that he ate too quickly and it got stuck in his windpipe. And um, upon the paramedics in our neighbor, who is also an EMT nurse paramedic, um, they were not able to revive him. I truly can't remember <laughs> the, you know, calling anyone at that time, but everyone was there. Was there. Everyone from our current life group, every um, co-worker that I had at Wilson, every family member that um, was in any kind of close radius to get here was there. Pastor Matt so, was there. He, who really held our hand and walked us through along with everybody in the background here at um, Anderson Hills. And we um, would not have been able to get through it, I think, in the manner that we have been able to without, without our this. church. Things that were putting place like the meal train, the GoFundMe page by our um, church family was not expected, not asked for, right. but things that were greatly needed that we didn't know we would need or utilize at the time. Um, you know, when you're um, have a tragedy like that happen in your life, you don't think about dinner. You no. don't <laughs> think about um, the fact that you have to take off time from work, perhaps without pay. And so that's where like the funds from GoFundMe really came in and was helpful so that we could take that time off to be there to support each other and our kids. Um, Trayvon's service was held here at church, which was anything was short awesome. of a miracle it that was. I've actually ever seen um, on earth. And awesome. you know, he was what we call VIP in Anderson Everywhere because he went. <laughs> that smile radiated across, you know, just to everyone. And I mean, no matter what kind of day you were having, when he smiled at you, yeah, you knew, away. you know, you were loved and you knew he was happy. This church is family. I've never felt 
a connection to a church like I do here. It's like having extension of yourself, um, which we know, you know, God's love extends without boundaries. And it's like um, I can pray for something and then it feels like he sends someone from my church family to, you know, tap me on the shoulder. I think right. this church and the body of people that this church has they live to spread you know his word and his love that's what it means to be the church let's pray god we're tired of being lone ranger christians tired of going through life on our own Tired of shallow relationships that go nowhere. God, we're ready to go deep. Ready to jump in with both feet. God, help us to be the church. Help us to be family. Help us to be one heart and to be one soul. We pray. Amen.